You're listening to highlights from One Planet podcast interview with Jane Madgwick, CEO of Wetlands International. I think from a very young age, I wanted to work with nature and, and conservation. So that this was set very, very early. And I got involved how I could, studying, of course, but volunteering, then doing field research. I suppose I had a science entry to the business, to ecology and conservation. Uh, but pretty much through experience, you learn that it's, it's not just about science, but it's really about uh, bringing people together around conservation. And through the various roles I took, I was always more fascinated about anything to do with water. Wetlands, well, they're really fascinating places and uh, they're so central to, to people's uh, culture, to art, as, as well as in, in very many practical ways to human survival. Um, so once I started to, to work with wetlands, I was hooked. Uh, so the last 30 years, that's uh, water and wetlands has been my focus. And, you know, I love trees but uh, and forests, but I think uh, pales into insignificance compared with uh, what wetlands have to, to offer. And Wetlands International, well, it's quite an old organisation. It's more than 60 years now. And uh, it's, it's the only global NGO which, which focuses on one kind of ecosystem. So it's interesting. And that's because wetlands have been under pressure for a very long time. And, and so the signs of um, wetlands disappearing, being lost, and the impacts of that were, were noticed a long time ago. So WWF, for example, was born out of a concern over wetlands, wetlands like the Doñana uh, wetland in Spain. Initially, I think the organisation was very science-based. It was very focused on, on species and sites. So... The organization evolved um, in the last 20, 30 years, especially, and in the last 10 years, really to see wetlands not as just special places or sites um, needing protection, but really as water systems in the landscape, which uh, are all about the health of the landscape and of the planet and are linked um, with people's well-being in many different ways, as well as uh, biodiversity. And of course, as well as uh, the climate. So being the biggest uh, water stores, but also the, the carbon stores, much the biggest uh, terrestrial carbon stores. Yeah, the fate of wetlands is really linked with the, the changes in the climate and our possibilities to reverse the negative changes, as well as the possibility to provide enough food and water for a growing population. The condition of wetlands is linked to all of that. That's why our organisation and the work we do with many, many partners uh, has really come into the foreground, has become more relevant as, uh, as this has been realised. Yes, because obviously the, the opposite are like desalination and these things are, are so expensive and it's, it's lovely when nature provides that answer. I'm not sure maybe we have to do a combination of, of the two, when you look at statistics like, I don't know, 2050, that over 30% of cities will experience water scarcity, that we have to be more proactive. I mean, what for you are the priorities? I guess with this situation, we have to prioritize the things and what you focus on. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's a combination of natural solutions and more technical ones. I think the first priority is, is number one, value the wetlands that remain. You know, even a small wetland in a city, uh, some will be familiar with um, the small lakes, for example, ponds in, in New York City in Central Park. You know, 
in combination, these actually lower the temperature, so help people in the city to survive the, the heat stress uh, that comes with climate change. So just understanding that they do this, valuing them, um, and that, that applies, you know, in every country, this is the starting point. Then we can stop degrading the resource that, that's there. Um, and then the, I think the second one is identify exactly the, what I would call the wetland hotspots, you know, which are the wetlands in the world which are absolutely crucial as a resource, uh, a lifesaver for the most poor and vulnerable people, you know, who directly dependent on the wetland resources, food, for water, for shelter, etc. Let's safeguard those. Let's safeguard the wetlands which are having a big impact in, in regulating the climate and water availability um, and resources for subsistence agriculture and fisheries. You know, let's make some priorities there. And then let's look for where restoring wetlands would make the biggest difference for nature and people. You know, wetlands uh, support 40% of biodiversity on this planet, 40%. And we're losing them three times faster than forests. So, you know, this has to stop. We need to recognize where these wetlands are and make sure they can survive. Well, the science is there, honestly, to bring this kind of information to the fore. And, uh, you know, things like the Global Mangrove Watch, which we launched um, with our uh, Global Mangrove Alliance partners this year. This is bringing knowledge available online to, to policymakers in, at the global level, country level, to, to people who are just in, a, in you know, one mangrove site, say in West Africa. They can all draw on this information and, and get good advice about where the priorities ought to be and, and access to a whole range of tools and approaches that can enable action. So I think there are, there are many things like this we can do to, to bring, bring the knowledge together, make it available um, so that others can pick it up and, and mobilize themselves. Definitely. And you must, from analyzing all different you know, water systems around the world and how certain societies, you know, are, I guess they don't have a choice or it's also a philosophical, spiritual uh, relationship with the land where they really do live within their limits. And then to see, I find it heartbreaking to see that where we kind of waste, you know, waste our resources. What, what, what do you feel we can learn from some of those agricultural practices or relationship with the land that is uh, just more respectful and conservative? Yeah, I think this is a really important point. You know, what I notice from my own experience, but also reading is there are some fantastic traditional systems for harvesting and cap capturing and distributing water in the landscape to conserve water and to fairly share water in, uh, in the landscape. And we are losing the habit of doing that. And I, I know uh, in many parts of the world, there are NGOs who are, are bringing these to life and, and encouraging them to come back. Um, so water tanks in, in India, for example, um, in the Middle East and North Africa, yeah, water was always re regarded as a, as a really precious resource. Those fantastic traditions. Unfortunately, a lot of this has been destroyed by big water infrastructure developments that haven't looked at the bigger picture uh, of water in the landscape and who stands to gain and lose from redistributing water, damming water, etc. So, you know, we've had decades of ill-informed water infrastructure development, and that takes um, a lot to change. 
what we can do is make sure that where new water infrastructure is coming in, that it doesn't destroy traditional water conservation systems, and that instead the reverse, that alongside it looks at the bigger picture and really enables a nature positive approach and better water sharing between all the stakeholders. You've touched on collaborating with local and indigenous communities and really prioritizing specific local solutions for various wetland ecosystems. I'm curious how those partnerships work with Wetlands International and local communities and how do you overcome potential hesitancies? Yeah, it's it's really part of our DNA as Wetlands International to to work very closely with uh, local and indigenous communities. So we are distributed network organization, we're not centralized. So all our local offices, they're in charge of developing and nurturing those kind of partnerships. Uh, We work with community leaders. Um, Sometimes we even bring them into our team for the purpose of of programs. So we, we we're part of the community, if you like, and we take time to build those relationships of trust uh, and we work with the ideas and with the intent of the local communities uh, and build a common vision with them um, rather than, you know, diving in with a solution that that would never be our approach. Uh, so we're more there to uh, connect the local knowledge and aspirations with uh, some knowledge we can bring from working with partners who can help, for example, show local people where what they do fits in the bigger landscape and how changes perhaps far away in the landscape are affecting, say, their water supply and helping them to have the ability to to influence, giving them the knowledge to influence decisions made at different scales in the landscape in the country, for example. It's a kind of science policy practice um, connection that we help to bridge and we help to find them access to finance and then put the the actions in their hands so that 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 they can drive the solutions themselves so we're there to help them to do that work and to connect them to the bigger picture and then make sure they have ownership of of, of what happens. I mean, literally ownership, that the land that, that they restore, for example, is brought into the, the village plans, that it, it is the ownership is, is there for the future, and to, to work with them to influence the plans at different levels uh, in the country. So it's, um, it's a multi-layered approach. And uh, well, it, it's just part of what we've learned is, is needed, you know, in the end, the the changes, the positive changes in the landscape are only safe if the communities um, are driving it forward. In terms of your um, forthcoming or current projects that you are most excited about or to, excited to see progress on, you know, what are, what are some things that Wetlands is doing now? Um, yeah, where to start? I mean, I, I've mentioned a few things such as uh, combining wetlands into infrastructure solutions. I think um, this is happening with, with supporting uh, work in different cities and different landscapes around the world. I think uh, working with engineers is really productive. This is a game changer, you know, because uh, building resilience from climate change is, is a lot to do with infrastructure. How we do that and accepting nature as part of infrastructure, that's a game changer. And so um, wetlands especially play a big role in that. So in Asia, we're working with five countries for um, some really big demonstrations of how this can make a difference. 
and we aim for that to go global. Um, equally, I mean, at a smaller scale in Europe, for example, we're highlighting that the cause of the dramatic summer floods in Germany, Netherlands recently um, was a lot to do with losing wetlands, small wetlands that, that functioned as natural wetland sponges in the tributaries. Uh, the loss of those made a dramatic difference to the impact of those floods. So raising awareness of um, how natural wetland sponges could be part of the solution across this continent. Yeah, that I think this is uh, vital. And well, generally what we need to do, what we're working on right now is to try and just get wetlands more clearly on the agenda. You know, as, as we've mentioned, uh, there were some tremendous pledges for, for forests and land use and for oceans in the outcome of the, the climate summit. You could, you could say that wetlands are included there as part of the um, terrestrial ecosystems and part of the ocean coast, but they're not visible. And as long as they're not visible, and as long as there aren't targets for wetlands, then they will be overlooked. They will, the threats will come through and we will continue to lose them fast. And this will undermine all the good climate action. So what we're looking to do right now is to really build a public campaign, but also work very hard through national advocacy to try and get some wetland targets in place in the global biodiversity framework. Um, and we could really use some, some support uh, for this um, because yeah, it's a, it's a big ask to, to, to get this to happen within the coming months and within the coming year. Been so happy to see how earth law as you know, as flawed as it may be, but that the rivers have rights then to to exist. This this idea that was maybe considered a dream or a fantasy, it's just lovely to see that enacted in different, interpreted in different ways in different countries. Um, but like to see, you know, it, it in the constitution in Ecuador, to see, you know, different places around the world, you know, catching on to this. Um, that, that's exciting, and it seems strange now to think that that could even be controversial, that nature has a right to exist. The indigenous point of view is like completely opposite. Like We should be th thanking nature every day for living in its space. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've heard people, uh, Inuit people, I've heard uh, Aboriginal people who really educated me in, in Australia, I've listened to people in uh, indigenous communities in Somalia uh, explain exactly this, you know, and it takes a, a little effort to get to be open to to these kind of uh, ideas, because I think, well, for me anyway, I've been trained to think differently. But but once you open up to it, yeah, it's very natural. And there is a rights of wetlands uh, campaign, which is allied to the, the rights of nature. But there's a specific rights of, of, of wetlands campaign, which Wetlands International is supporting, because we do believe this is a, a good way to go. To see a whole river and floodplain system as a being and having a right to exist um, and to, to the connectivity and the dynamism that should be there. Yeah, I think this, this really adds to, um, to our toolkit, if you like. The... In the last, well, nearly 18 years since I've been in this position, I think it's been a, well, a privilege just to understand what our 
our really fantastic team around the world have been doing you know, their work, just uncovering their work uh, and connecting them together around a, a global ambition, really sharing a, a strategy now to transform wetlands around the planet. Um, I get a lot of energy from, from that. You know, it's a fantastic team of people and, and then they in turn have their networks and their partners. And I think, yeah, this is what conservation is all about. It's about mobilizing society. It's about inspiring and mobilizing society and um, using whatever skills we have to connect with others. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.